The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Welcome to Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's been an attorney mediator for 26 years, and during that time she's resolved thousands of disputes as a neutral conflict healer. She's a member of the Orange County Superior Court Mediation Panel, and she's been a law professor of negotiations and mediation and presently teaches negotiations right here at UCI. She's the author of Negotiations, Breakthroughs, and co-author of Stepping Stones to Success and several other books. To listen to previous interviews, see upcoming guests, download podcasts, and learn more, visit www.conflicthealing.com. So Mari, what's your show about today? Lloyd, today our show is about nonviolence, and I'm really thrilled because I found this website called Meta Center for Nonviolence. And I was so excited by it that I thought we should interview the people who are the founders of this and who are working with this wonderful program. So today we're going to be interviewing Michael Nagler, and I'll tell you a little bit about him. He's a fascinating man. He's a professor emeritus of classics and comparative literature at UC Berkeley, where he co-founded the Peace and Conflict Program, in which he taught the immensely popular nonviolence course that was webcast in its entirety as well as PAX 90, Meditation, and a sophomore seminar called Why Are We Here? Great Writing on the Meaning of Life. Did that for 15 years. Among the many awards he's received, he received the Jamnali or Jamnanal uh, Bajaj, and he'll have to tell me if I did that right, International Award for Promoting Gandhian Values Outside India back in 2007. And uh, he has been a distinguished contributor to nonviolence with many as far um, as Archbishop Desmond Tutu and peace scholar and activist Johan Galtung in receiving this honor. So he has been honored many times and he's the author of the book, The Search for a Nonviolent Future, which received a 2002 American Book Award. And it has been translated into Korean, Arabic, Italian, and other languages. Also, he's the author of Our Spiritual Crisis, Recovering Human Wisdom in a Time of Violence, and many other books, as well as articles on peace and spirituality. And he's spoken um, all over the place regarding peace and nonviolence, especially since 2001. September 2001, 9-11, and he's consulted for the U.S. Peace Institute of Peace and many other organizations. He's president of the board of the Meta Center for Nonviolence Education, and he's worked on nonviolent, nonviolent interventions since the 1970s. So I am just really so thrilled to have him join us this morning, and he's coming to us from, I think it's just Northern California, am I right? You are right, Mari. Thank you very much. Yes, our office is here in Petaluma. Oh, yeah, that's that's beautiful up there, and Berkeley's great, too. 
So why don't you tell us about this Meta Center? I found that website and I was very impressed. Why don't you tell us what you're doing up there? Wow. Well, what we're doing here is kind of the hub of things that are reaching out all over the world. And our main goal is to uh, promote nonviolence worldwide. That's kind of our tagline. And we do this through educational means. Um, I have a kind of indirect connection to Mahatma Gandhi through my meditation teacher who met him, was deeply impressed by him. And so I've immersed myself in the study of Gandhi's life and his writings, and uh, we find it's an extremely rich subject and becoming more and more important by the day. And we are moved by the fact that millions of people, this is not an exaggeration, are involved in nonviolent movements, but they don't really know how the darn thing works. So they end up having unnecessary risk of life and being less effective than they could be. Oh, I know. We see this all over the world. So talk to us about the difference, if any, between nonviolence and conflict resolution. So I'm, I consider myself a healer of conflict and I teach conflict resolution, but I know that there is a difference. And if you could speak up a little bit more right into your, uh, your telephone, that would be great. Yes, that's better. Okay. Go ahead. Well, I look on conflict resolution and nonviolence on a continuum and conflict resolution is practiced among people who are, want to resolve their conflict or at least want to give it a try, or maybe in the case of arbitration, they've been you know, legally compelled. But anyway, they're sitting at the same table, and they're looking for ways to get what they want, uh, but also to accommodate the other person's needs if they can. So there's specific set of skills, as you know very, very well, Mari, that are, have been developed over the years to uh, uh, facilitate that process, and it's very important, and it works very well. But right. I mean, you, you know, I, I mean, we, we are trying to, as mediators, as opposed to arbitrators who make a decision, yeah. mediators do try to enhance the relationship, help people to effectively listen to each other, really reframe negativity, and look for problem-solving and building bridges between each other. So that's, you know, they, that's trying to keep it from getting to a violent place yeah. so that everybody gets a mutual gain. So that's kind of the, how at least how I see conflict resolution. Well, that's how I see it also. And as I say, I think it plays a very important role. But what do you do when parties don't want to sit at the table with one another? Right. When they <laughs> that the other person is not quite human, they don't, they're not going to listen to reason, and the only way to get what you want is through force. And then there's another area in which nonviolence can be applied, and that's called the area of structural violence. In other words, not just one person hating and, trying and abusing another, but systems of unfairness that are set up. And we, incidentally, this is a direction that American politics is drifting into where, you know, we're taking away health care, we're taking away welfare, and creating situations of unfairness where people suffer unnecessarily. Nonviolence gives us a way to address those issues also in the, uh, the dimension that's usually called constructive program. So for Gandhi, nonviolence needed three components to, to carry it out on a major scale. 
One component was what he called satyagraha, or clinging to truth, where in the face of opposition or hatred, you refuse to hate or fear the opponent. You don't do what they're trying to get you to do under compulsion, but you don't reject them as a person. And then the other component was constructive program, where you build the systems that you want without waiting for your opponent to do it for you. So, for example, in his case, uh, homemade cloth was an example of constructive program, because why wait for the British to, to do something fair and bring you cloth that they had manufactured in England? Uh, you could spin your own cotton as you had done for thousands of years before the British arrived. And make your own salt. Going that was yeah, not another example? An, yeah. No, salt would be, you know, salt, that's interesting, My Salt is kind of a borderline example, because what they were doing was constructive, but it was also against the law. Oh. And it was going to move directly into opposition, which is exactly what they wanted and exactly what they got. Mm. So that's, that's an interesting kind of borderline example. Huh. Okay. So what, what you needed for a full, full-blown campaign was constructive program, satyagraha, and the ability to make a strategic choice between them. Hmm. So, for example, when uh, you could, when there wasn't an opportunity for satyagraha, because, for example, in 1942, when England was involved in a world war, Gandhi said, "There's a, a law of non-embarrassment that was important to him. You don't try to distract your opponent when they've got their their dukes up in another direction." You wait till you can get their attention. So that meant large-scale civil disobedience was ruled out. Now, for us, what that would often mean is that the movement would come to an end. You'd lose your momentum. When the next opportunity came around, you'd have to start all over again. But for him, he said, okay, people, switch over to spinning. Right. Switch, switch over to new education to getting rid of uh, the drink habit, all those components of the 18 projects that made up constructive program. And actually, I, I have been arguing that this is what we should be doing also. And uh, With oil? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, and uh, I, I was recently in Birmingham, Alabama, where I was presenting this to uh, a meeting of some 70 activists from around the country. Hmm. It just seems to me, you know, and when in terms of the in the the challenges that we have with some of the nations that um, have oil and and you know have this hatred for us, if we created our own alternatives to oil, then we would not have to be maybe doing things that we shouldn't be doing, you know. Yes, but uh, I wanted to. I want to add a little bit to that. I think. Even if we all went over to electric cars and or solar energy or solar something energy <laughs> and so forth, we still have a backlog of hatred mm. that we've created, and that is not okay. I I think right. we can't live with that. We would have to go and make amends. Yes. And this Johann Galtung that you mentioned, uh, he did a really thorough study of what people in the Middle East wanted and what we want and came to the conclusion that what we want is their oil, and what they want is respect for their religion. Oh, uh-huh. So there's no 
reason in the world that we have to be enemies. Right. We want different things. We want different <laughs> things. We can give them what they want quite easily and get what we want. Right. But, but we, see, we see the world through this lens of competition mm. and conflict, and so we get into these horrendous wars that are absolutely unnecessary. And I, don't, I don't know if you noticed, but recently, uh, just last year, we passed a point where more American servicemen and women have committed suicide than oh, have yes. killed in combat. Oh, they had a huge article in our Orange County Register recently about oh, that. Good. It is, um, yes, it is. And, and there's a lot of anger that these people come back because sure. they've seen so much killing, and then there have been so many killings here, even in our local Orange County. It's, oh, it's yeah. so, there. It, we have to do something different. Yeah. So when you're talking about we have to make amends and we have to, you know, really understand each other, let's talk about the role of atonement in yeah. nonviolence and conflict resolution. Yes, well, uh, you know, I was a part, major participant in wonderful book called Beyond Forgiveness, uh, which is all about <coughs> atonement. And um, Could you speak up a little bit? Yes, yeah, sorry. Yes, and the, I love the, that book. I have it right here in front of me. Good. I think the courage to acknowledge that one has wronged another and to atone for having done that is the same courage that would enable a person to be nonviolent. And the reason that I got uh, so excited about participating in that book was that uh, I've come to believe that one of the things that's holding our fellow Americans back from being better world citizens is a sense of guilt. And guilt can be very paralyzing, and it can lead you to um, being defensive and making matters worse, as you obviously would know from your practice. So to give people a way to atone for what the harm that we've caused, I'm not saying that other countries also haven't caused harm, but to give ourselves a way to atone would unblock a lot of progressive, constructive energy. So we have to atone for our uh, American um, Native Indians. We have to atone for what has happened with the slaves. Um, are, is that what you're talking about? Is, uh, well, it starts there, but we've had an extremely aggressive foreign policy since we, almost since we became a nation, certainly since we became engaged in world affairs in the very early part of the 20th century. I mean, we, we've carried out a long series of overseas interventions, hun literally hundreds of them. And uh, I think, we're, you know, having killed... A million men, women, and children in Iraq, just because it's more recent doesn't mean that it's less important. Right, and right. So, and Afghanistan. Yeah. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. we, have to, we have to do two things. We have to turn away from that kind of behavior, and we have to atone for the past uh, examples of it. So should it be nations that do it, or should it be individuals, or how should that be done? Oh, well, uh, that's not really my expertise, but I know that <laughs> something like that has to start from individuals. That's clear. I mean, everything about nonviolence really has to start from individuals. And uh, 
once individuals practice it enough to show other individuals that it works and it's it's a healthy thing and you feel good about it and you're a better person for it, it spreads. And then you can start talking about making it into policy. And it would bring about all kinds of changes. And one of the things that at the Meta Center we promote a lot, and this would be not too far from your field of work either, Mari, is what we call restorative justice. Yes. So instead of retributive justice, where we exact Punish, punishment yeah. on people, right. we get them a way of getting back into society. We, we restore them to full citizenship and full participation in the human community. And bring the, the victims and the offenders together so yes. that there is that restorative feelings where people can forgive. Yes, and that's the atonement right there. You know, and this is um, something that people who have offended really want to do that. But our culture is so biased against it that uh, we, we don't give them rewards, we don't give them opportunities. You know, we had Azim Kamisa on our show. You know who he is. I know Azim very well. He's wonderful. And, mm-hmm. um, and you know, we had read his books. And we talked about, you know, what he did, that he could get together with the grandfather of the young man who killed his son and how he has worked tirelessly to try and yep. get the the young man who killed his son out of jail so he can be, become part of this whole yep. forgiveness. Yeah. So well, how that, does, that, yeah, I was, go ahead. That would be a major component of the shift toward a nonviolent future. So how does forgiveness and atonement work together? Forgiveness is uh, your approach to what someone else has done to you. Atonement is your way of handling what you've done to others. And I see them as very reciprocal. You know, mm-hmm. Jesus says, forgive them, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And if we don't forgive those who have harmed us, we'll find it very difficult to forgive ourselves. Yes. We'll find it very difficult to gain forgiveness. So you're really retreating from a world of alienation and separateness to a world of unity. So how does human image come into this? You know, you talk a lot at the Meta Center about human image. Why don't you help my audience understand why that a human image is important for nonviolence and atonement or conflict resolution? Oh, I'd be so happy to do that. Yeah, we feel that this is really the key. And uh, over the years, it's become more and more clear to us that we cannot get away from violence as long as we believe what the commercial media and especially advertising tells us about who we are. They're telling us that we are separate, we are material bodies, and we are to be fulfilled by consumption of something outside ourselves. And that's leading us into a dead end, and it's causing enormous conflict and violence because we need what other people have, yes. and we don't, we don't regard them as part of ourselves So naturally, we find violent ways of getting what we want. Mm. Now, if we could only awaken people to the truth, and it is the truth, that we're not material beings, we're spiritual beings who have a material existence known as the body, and that on that spiritual level, we're deeply interconnected. In fact, in, in a very real sense, we're actually one. 
Yes. So, A, we don't need anything that they've got other than what we can you know, trade for amicably. And B, we wouldn't dream of hurting them, even if we did feel that we needed something they have, because hurting another person would be like hurting myself. You know, I recently saw on TV where Lady Gaga was being interviewed by Oprah Winfrey, and um, they were talking about her songs, and they had interviewed some teenagers who were real, uh, they were bullied, they had been bullied terribly, and they heard Lady Gaga's songs, and it gave them such a feeling of, you know, be who you are, accept who you are, love who you are, <laughs> accept your human image, and um, it just kind of made me think about that, how these kids who had been bullied started yeah. to really care about the, the, the human that they are, the, the real being that they are, and they they were just inspired by her songs, which is, you know, interesting. And, uh, and the bullying stopped. Yeah. Because when you, when you stop believing what an oppressor is telling you, uh, he really has no power over you anymore. Right. You, you, mm-hmm. Go ahead. You have to believe that you're inferior in order to put up with oppression. Yes. And the minute you don't believe that, uh, isn't it, uh, Harriet Tubman who her whole, career started when one day she woke up in the morning and she said, I'm not a slave. Yes. And it just changed everything for her and for hundreds of other people as well. It's like that saying, no one can make you feel bad about yourself unless you allow it. Yes, and Gandhi went so so far as to say that the British did not take India. We gave it to her. her. Yes. Uh, And that nobody can take away another person's freedom unless they consent. Exactly. It, and that's that's kind of hard to for some people to see, but it takes you out of that victim thought mm-hmm. into yeah. being a victor. You know, that's like the name of my book. One of my books is From Victim to Victor because I had been a victim of identity theft and I never thought of myself as a victim personality. So I talk about that in the book. Besides giving help to people, I talk about you are not a victim. Unless, you, you may have been victimized, but you're uh, not a victim. That's right. So what and about you, nonviolence, and is that the same as pacifism? Some people might equate those two. Well, I, I tear my hair out over those people. We, we work very hard to rescue nonviolence from that misconception. It's anything but passive. It's an extremely active uh, mode of being and way of behaving. We are constantly looking for creative ways to reach the heart of your opponent. And uh, you do definitely do not passively accept injustices. Why people have that confusion is that sometimes you make a very clear distinction in your mind between what's the principle and what is negotiable. Mm-hmm. And on things that are not negotiable, you handsomely concede whenever you possibly can. But on things that are uh, not negotiable, you won't give in for anything. Isn't that like watching boundaries? Like you don't overstep your boundaries, but you don't let anybody overstep your boundaries? Yeah, that that part of it is about watching boundaries, yes. Mm-hmm. You know, you also stress the role of the media in your work. And, mm-hmm. you know, I really, I I think that is so important. Yep. So what what is that role? Why don't you help us understand? Sure. I I think the media are the main force that are creating that negative, limited, physical image. Uh, 
that we were just talking about earlier. And uh, we, because I, see, after, I went around speaking after I had published uh, Search for a Nonviolent Future, and people would always say, okay, well, give us things to do. So at Meta, eventually, we came up with a list of five things that we recommend for people to do. Uh, one is to get a spiritual practice if you don't have one already. And, you know, we recommend passage meditation uh, on our website and direct people that way. But there are other avenues, of course. <clears throat> the second thing, sometimes we put them in a different order depending on who we're talking to. But let's say the second thing is to learn everything you can about nonviolence. It's a very deep subject. There's a lot written. There's a lot that you can experience in your own behavior. Third thing is to basically boycott the mass media because you don't need that culture anymore. You'll find that if you're contacting the sources of reality within yourself and you're learning about the technique of nonviolence, you absolutely don't need what passes for entertainment and news and advertising on the commercial media, which are all about selfishness and competition and materialism. It just will seem ridiculous to you. And so then the fourth thing we recommend is for people to go out and act out the new culture that they've uh, ingrained by being personal with people, by being looking for ways to serve their needs, to cooperate instead of competing. And if just the simple things like giving everyone whom you're talking to your one-pointed attention. It just make a tremendous difference in human interaction. And then finally, make an assessment of what your strengths and weaknesses are and get involved in peace work. And, you know, I, I, and I love that. And I think mm-hmm. turning it around, just like, you know, kind of reframing the whole thing about mass media is yeah. now we've got incredible social media that we can use. And, you know, I don't think we've even begun to use it. And those of us who are kind of, you know, the AARP members, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I mean, I'm, I'm learning how to really use it more using Uh my Facebook, using my LinkedIn, um, Uh tweeting and blogging, I think. And, and the, the next thing is really making your own YouTube. You can make your own media and I think yeah. that's what we need. I think we need to use those tools that these young people are using and have our own. I mean, like this. Why do you think I started this radio show at the University I of bet. California? Yeah. I mean, it's because I share your concern mm-hmm. and I'm thinking create our own media. Well, and, I completely agree with that uh, and or use media that have been set up outside the commercial framework like uh, you know, I, I contribute to things like Truth Out and occasionally even HuffPost, and but more like Truth Out and Common Dreams and things like that, and, and put stuff on our own blog. Um, yeah. When I fir- yeah. When I first, sorry, when I first started telling people to boycott the mass media, they they looked at me in horror. You know, they OMG, what will we do? You know. <laughs> but, <laughs> but now there's so much that people can go to as an alternative. Yes, and we are out of time, but I am oh. so glad. Would you believe how quickly that went? It went by, it was just five minutes. I know, I know, because it was so much fun. Well, I am I am so happy that you could join us today, Michael. You um, have done such wonderful work in this world, and, and I would love to come and even 
see that that centered up there. Um, so you, why don't you give your website for the Meta Center, would you, Michael you Nagel? Nagel? Yes, I'd be happy to. It's www.metacenter.org, Meta with two Ts. And we just honor you for all you're doing and what you're teaching at, at Berkeley. That is just wonderful, and we will continue to watch. And please let us know when you want to come back on, and we will be thrilled to have you back on and share all this this wonderful news. So we're Thank going to work so together much. to make a world that works for everybody. There you go. Thank you so much, Mari. And do come on up here and visit us anytime you like. Okay. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8.30 a.m. and visit our website at conflicthealing.com. Send us emails about what you think about for peace and conflict healing and what needs to happen in this world to make it a world that works for everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.